Adding wholesale as a channel to your store is a great way to increase revenue. But how do you offer customer-specific pricing in Shopify? Well, naturally, there's a bold app for that. It's called Customer Pricing. And it's great for wholesale, of course, but it's also cool to add things like a VIP program where you reward your best customers. So it's easy to use. To put a customer in a price group, you just tag their customer account. Or, if you want to get fancy, you can auto-tag customers into groups based off how much they've spent, how often they order, where they're from, or what products they purchased. So it's really powerful. For example, if they've spent $500 or more, you could tag them as silver, and they get 5% off. $1,000 or more, they get tagged gold, they get 10% off. You could even do it by how many times they've ordered and even what country they're from. With the tagging by product purchase feature, you could actually sell a membership product and then give them a member discount. So if you're a Costco member, this should sound familiar, because it's exactly what they do. To try it out free for two months, head to ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines, and it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability, and it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Recording from EtherCycle headquarters outside Chicago, this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, and today we're going to be talking to royalty, the beard king. I don't know if you are a Shark Tank fan. I'm sure you may be. You're certainly familiar with the show. We've got a, a guest today who is on Shark Tank with a wildly successful but totally out of left field product because it, it solves a pain, it solves a problem. But when I've described it to people, there's kind of like this moment where they're like, is that a white elephant gift? Is that a joke? And you're like, no, it, it's very real and it solves a real pain or problem. But because it's like a niche thing, it only serves a certain kind of person. And I'm going to let our guest today explain it. He's Nicholas Galakovic from Beard King. He is the Beard King. He's been on Shark Tank. He's been doing this for years. Tremendously successful uh, and interesting entrepreneur. Nick, thank you for joining us. King Kurt, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here today and talk a little bit about uh, that amazing intro. I was I was trying not to crack up as you were saying it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I I, I was smart it. and I muted you. Oh, I did. I did mute you during while I was doing it. So I muted myself, so no, no need for that, but I appreciate oh, it. We double muted. Okay. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right. Up front, tell me number one, what is, what is the, 
Well, what is, what's the product you sell? How did this get started? Um, so back in 2013-ish, I would say. And the reason why I said it is because there was a year gap that I almost let this go. And I'll get into that. I'll circle back. But essentially, you know, as I first started growing facial hair as a teenager way back in the day, I was like, you know, a boy now becoming a man. And I was like, this is amazing. But then I quickly realized, I'm like, wait a minute, this is... This is a problem. This is a very messy and time-consuming task that I'm basically going to have until my 70s or however long I live, <laughs> and I and I uh, no longer grow facial hair. So, um, you know, that was when I was living at my with my mom at home. I was a teenager, and then you know, fast forward uh, to when I got married and I started coexisting again with a woman, except this time it's my wife, and she started yelling at me for the same problem. Like, what are all these hairs in the sink? <laughs> So I'm like, you know what, there has to be something on the market. So one day she was actually out of town on on business and I had a few glasses of wine in me and I was like, there has to be an idea that I can maybe come up with. Or So I started researching online, seeing if there's anything I could buy, maybe on Amazon or just on any other website. And there really wasn't. So I got out my sketchbook. I started kind of drawing this idea I had in my mind of, you know, almost like a bib, picture like a bib or an apron that you attach around your neck and it would suction cup or stick or glue to the mirror. I didn't really know at the time, but what I ended up doing was rummaging through like her supplies. Like I think I used a plastic cutting board. I think I used like a drape, scissors, tape, staples, whatever I can find to kind of come up with this idea that I sketched in my mind. And essentially that was the first prototype. And so that's how I came up with the idea of solving the issue of catching the facial hairs going into the sink. So that was the initial first phase of prototyping. So when she got back, so yeah, go early on, this is, or so this is the commonality I see among successful Shopify entrepreneurs like yourself. It starts with there. And this is, I told you in the pre-call, I said, we're there is a pattern that will emerge. And I don't know if it's because this is how most successful entrepreneurs work or I just attract this type of person. But I'm glad, and then there was no leading after that. You then just came about it. So the successful Shopify entrepreneurs have a real pain or problem in their own life. So you had, and this is interesting because it's a relationship problem. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, I've had the same issue where if you trim your beard, so like shaving, you have little short hairs. You know, if you shave in the sink, they go right down the sink. If you trim your beard, you've got lots of these longer hairs, right? No matter how often you trim this beard, there's always these long hairs that get missed. Mm-hmm. And then they, the the clipper, I don't know if it's like the way hair works or the clippers, They don't, no matter how careful you are, they don't just go in the sink so that you can rinse them down. At which point, in my case, they then clog my sink. And it's like every eight weeks, I got to go jam like a coat hanger down there. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they go everywhere. Like they, they're like little, those helicopter seats are all over oh, the yeah. place. And they get around the sink too. Yeah. So now they're like in your wife's toothbrush and they're in a hairbrush. And then the worst is around the the faucet. They get like stuck under the faucet and they're like around the faucet. They go behind the faucet, between the faucet and the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's maddening. Yep. So you said, all right, I've got like, this is a much larger issue than just my my wife is mad at me. This is, you know, I've got this, this beard madness, this beard trimmings are a problem. What do I do? Well, I'll go look for it. And you went look for it, go, oh, either the solutions that exist suck or a solution for this flat out does not exist. And then you said, I bet I could do it better and started 
started sketching. Mm. And it's like every great entrepreneurial story seems to run along those lines. So consistently amazes me, but go ahead. Yeah, no, and it's interesting because like you said, I think on Shark Tanks, the sharks say this all the time. It's like, you never, you never will actually reinvent or invent something new, I should say. It's like you're, you're bettering a product, you're reinventing the product, you're tailoring it to make it better. But in this case, it was so rare. And that's how I know that, you know, this is a, a really special product in a sense that it didn't exist. It does solve a problem. And we really pioneered a new market into where we can segue, uh, uh, you know, later down the road in this conversation of the, the pain points that I'm having is we are completely getting knocked off left and right because it's so successful. Um, and it's just crazy to think it's flattering, you know, not when you lose money, but to know that you made it, you created a market and it's in popular demand and everybody wants to copy it. But that's what shocked me is that, you know, being it's, well, it's 2018 now, but, you know, given four years ago when I came up with the idea uh, that no one thought to solve the problem. I think I remember calling Alessia, my wife, and saying, uh, I found this product. It's It was by Norelco. And they tried to come out with a clipper, right? Because what do you use to trim your beard? You use clippers. That had a vacuum chamber on it that was going to supposedly suck in all the hair as you trim. I had one of these. Yes. And it, because I, I recognized the problem like years ago. As soon as you trim a beard, you're like, oh shit. Yep. <laughs> so I saw this, like, I needed to buy a beard trimmer. I saw this, this trimmer with a vacuum on it. And I'm like, oh, brilliant. Bought it. It kind of worked, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the container it had for the hair was so small. Correct. That like, just in trimming your beard, you don't like you'd fill it immediately, and then like cleaning that thing out is gross, and then like cleaning it out gets hair everywhere. Like flat out, did, and then it's like really the vacuum is not strong enough to do it, enough. It, like, it just didn't work more well. More issues than solving the problem, and so I remember um, I called her. I'm like, uh, I think the beard bib's dead, and this is prior to the beard bib even coming out. So I remember in the beginning of um, our call here, I said. I almost let the idea go. I sat on it for a year because as I was doing R&D, as I came out with for myself and it solved the problem for myself and I could have been fine and dandy and I could have never even started this business. Um, but when I saw that in my R&D so you had, due diligence. So yeah. Stepping back, you had you came up with the idea, hmm. sketched the thing out and then you went and made it? Well, no. And this is where I was getting at is that I, I, yeah, I made it for myself. Like in other words, I just stapled a bunch of things together, got a few materials and I had a very ugly, hideous prototype to just sort of work. But when I was continuing my due diligence to do research, to develop the product further, I saw the clipper that we were just talking about. And I'm like, you know what? That's perfect. You don't need anything around your neck. However, (laughs) sometimes when you try to overcomplicate a problem and, and make a product like then you're dealing with technology. Then the user has to use your clipper. It's great for the company, but unfortunately, a lot of people, they prefer their own clippers. Um, like you said, the vacuum chamber was so small, it didn't even work. And it ended up actually only catching from what I tested, maybe like 30% of the hair. Um, yeah, it was better than nothing, but it didn't. It's better it than nothing, not but job. we're trying to solve the whole problem here. So, And I can say unbiasedly, because I've had reviews on Amazon or people that say, oh, you know, the hair still gets all over or it's hard to clean out. But honestly, once you kind of learn how, there's not much of a learning curve to an apron attached to a mirror, basically. But once you kind of learn how to use it, it really does catch, I would say, unbiasedly, like 98% of the hair. There's just a slight learning curve of how to use it. 
Um, oh, I've, I have one. I've, I've used it. It one hundred percent. It works. Yeah. It's just yeah. The mistake is if you uh, you just have to be careful. You've now because it's successful. You have collected all of your hair into one spot. Yeah. So you have to it, uh, in dumping it. You just have to be careful. Yeah. Well, in advance. So my solution is I. I have the garbage. I lift the wastebasket up. I put it on the counter, and then I just funnel it into that. Well, I need to show you the tips and tricks video because you can actually oh. make this little tumbleweed hairball technique with you brush off your <laughs> arms. You kind of you kind of pat it underneath the bib, and it create starts to create and form this little snowball hair. It's hilarious. You should try it just for fun. But that's kind of what I do, and then it just all comes out in one piece. But again, it's someone that's been using it and knows the product for four years, as opposed to someone. You know that might be a new customer or even yourself that you know might not use it all the time but regardless I, I think an inspirational point here is that i almost dropped this whole idea because of that and i think that you kind of even if it did exist or i was competing with a company like norelco and solving the problem in an easier format you should still pursue you know because if i never did it beard king would have never came about there would have been no shark tank i would have been doing what i was doing prior so um yeah i think you should always push forward and pursue if you do have something that uh, does solve a real problem. And that's key because a lot of times I see products on even on Shark Tank that I'm like, really? Like, what problem is this solving, you know, or solving? And it doesn't really solve much. So I, I think that's where the success came. So you had, all right, so you found the problem. You made this, uh, you made this prototype. Mm -hmm. You saw there was a competing product. It was totally different, but it solved the same problem. But it didn't really, and it's really it's more expensive than like buying a whole new beard trimmer is more expensive than this bib. Yeah. And I found those the beard trimmers are kind of disposable; they don't last all that long. Yeah. Like a few years, you got to toss them. Yeah. Um. So you you came around. You said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna make this thing." What did you do next? Because getting like you got the idea, the pain. You figured identified the pain. Fine. Identified. I invented a product idea. Okay built the prototype so you know this the concept works in practice, then what do you do? So the next step, I knew we needed to tailor and really perfect and polish the prototype. Um, so there's a sweet old Italian lady here that we get all of our clothes tailored from and my wife, you know, loves her. So I was like, wait a minute, why don't we go to her house one day, you know, have some, some wine or some cookies, whatever she serves us. She's almost like our grandma here in Miami. Um, and so we took it over to her and she, you know, she liked the idea and she actually helped us polish it, uh, to a point where it was like almost a perfect working product. So we added a few bells and whistles to it and we were now ready to scale production. I mean, we weren't ready for like mass production, but we were ready for, you know, maybe a couple hundred to a thousand units. We didn't have, we bootstrapped this whole thing. So it's not like we had investors or money to invest. We were on a shoestring budget. So um, after that step, we then found a local manufacturer um, that it was a referral from actually one of my ex-clients. Prior to this, just a side note, I used to do brand development and design for other companies. So I kind of knew how to start a business as far as the front end and the branding and the marketing, but I didn't. I had no clue about manufacturing and running books and operations. I mean, I've learned so much through the journey. So after polishing the prototype, took it to a local manufacturer and I mean, we were paying out the ass, excuse my language for, I mean, we were paying maybe like $15 a unit and selling it for like 22, I think at that point, just, be, just so I can prove that there was a market. I knew that it wasn't a good margin, but I knew that we had to prove the market first. So took it to this lady. She was like a 
uh, a fashion uh, clothing manufacturer, very small mom and pop. So that's why the cost was so high. And so after I think we developed maybe like 600 units to start, um, put it up on Shopify, launched it on Instagram. And this is prior to like Instagram having uh, the great algorithm of not being uh, only shown to a certain amount of people. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the recent changes that they had where it's like, it's so hard to get engagement on social media nowadays. But so we had wild success on there. Um, and this is kind of leading up into, you know, the Shark Tank side of things. But after we made this product, put it online, we actually ended up going viral. I think this was like six or seven months in the business where a big account, like I think it was Unilad. Are you familiar with Unilad? Uh, it's a, uh, no, no, no Unilad is a, there's a lot of these Facebook um, pages out there that are just basically viral media companies. So there's like nine gag Unilad. Um, and there's a, there's a bunch of them out there. They picked it up and usually if you know what happens when something goes viral, it's like one big account picks it up and then everybody else has to share it too. So it ended up, the video that we produced ended up going viral. And it was, a, again, shoestring budget. We shot it inside my mom's house. Uh, Alessia was one of the actors. I just kind of directed it. And then we had one of my buddies that looks just like me. Uh, and everybody thought it was me in the video. We kind of did the problem solution in a video format. And that is what went viral. And uh, I mean, I'm kind of skipping steps in between here, but when that went viral, we were like, oh, shoot, what do we do? Like, I think in the month of, I think it was like May or something, we did $80,000 in sales in one month. I mean, mind you, it's like we were little spikes here and there, like little baby steps, nothing much. And then once you go straight to $80,000, you are like, uh, how am I going to fulfill this? I have no clue. <laughs> so that was another pain point, but that's a good problem to have. So that so was you had um, you allowed back orders. Yeah. And that's a pivotal moment for any business because it could kind of make or break you. And so we were at this point, and again, I skipped a lot of details, but I kind of just fast forwarded through the journey of the first six to eight months. And at this time, we were still working out of our condo. We were fulfilling orders out of our condo. Literally, it's a one bedroom, 800 square foot condo. So you can imagine we were literally cluttered with inventory in here and same local manufacturer. We weren't making it overseas, so our margins still weren't great. And back orders almost crushed us because I had to like pull in help with customer service, friends and family. I was literally, I even had like, I think uh, one of our cleaning ladies that just could come over and help fulfill orders. It was a zoo in here. Um, so it was very, very stressful. And I think at that point, every every company goes through these pivotal moments. We're like, all right, what's the next step? How do we grow? What What is the next tier? And after that, when we can get into that story was obviously going overseas and then getting a 3PL, which is a, basically a third-party logistics and it's a fulfillment center. Uh, to so you had, all right, so you come up with a product, you found, you built the, through your network, found this tailor who built you a very, an excellent prototype. Yep. Use that as the example to get uh, manufacturing to happen. Um, was it manufactured in the U.S.? Yeah, it was in Miami. So, okay. So you locally... <laughs> it locally manufactured, yep. but at like extraordinary cost, but it's enough where you could sell it and prove it. Correct. Um, you had like a thousand units and you made a, a viral video or a te- you made a funny video yep. and put that thing up uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Nine gag, this big Facebook content curator uh, grabs it 
And then, of course, well, I've seen this too. Yeah, once you get on one big outlet like that, all the little ones will go, oh, well, this must be good, and it'll follow. So you have a pretty good tail on those, those like what would normally be like a one-day viral hit. They have actually have a pretty decent tail on them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then from do. there, yeah, this creates this, though really your, your first goal is to prove, hey, can this work? Do we have a product market fit here? And you did it. And then you get to a point where you go, all right, uh, clearly this isn't gonna. This is not sustainable. It's not gonna work because you're paying too much for manufacturing. You're pa- picking and packing orders out of your your own house, which is brutal. Um, as soon as you try to do it at scale, yeah. And you knew, all right, this is all right. So if you're ever in this position with your business, this is the thing I learned recently. You ask yourself, what would someone smarter than me do? And the moment you rephrase it like that, suddenly, like oftentimes it'll become clear. Oh, okay, that's the thing I should do. Yeah. So you knew. You had like it wasn't sustainable, so you had to um, get cheaper manufacturing, faster, better manufacturing um, to make it profitable and to meet demand, and then also have someone else fulfill the thing. Like it really, it does you no good to be doing the fulfillment yourself. So have someone else do it for you, so that you could concentrate on the things you're good at. Right? Absolutely. I get that. <laughs> uh, no, you nailed it. That's absolutely right. All right. So once um, and you went overseas, I assume to China for manufacturing. Uh, during this time where, you know, we needed to scale, we, we figured out all the bullet points that you just hit. This was right around the time that I started researching about Shark Tank. You know, I've always been a fan of the show. It's obviously a lot of entrepreneurs love it. I'm sure everybody that's listening has seen it, maybe even been on it or want to be on it. And so I started researching, you know, about auditioning. And it just so happened that after I did the research, there was an open call casting like two weeks from that date in Miami. I'm like, oh my, like, this is literally calling my name. Like, there's no reason why yeah, I shouldn't. It's I mean, fate. Yeah, it's fate because they're not in every city. They're actually just in hubs or regions. And then people like, um, you know, drive from all over the Southeast. So sure enough, I ended up waking up at 5 a.m. This was uh, January 15, 2015. And I, I waited in line. There was a huge line. We ended up getting there pretty early. And so the audition process was, you know, you wait in line, you get your number called. Uh, and I think it was like after seven hours, something like that. It was crazy because mind you, it's 5 a.m. I don't even think we pitched till like almost 12 in the afternoon and didn't eat much. And I'll never forget, there was like seven pitch booths. And, you know, I'm obviously strategizing, like, please get a guy and please get a guy with a beard, you know, or something like that. (laughs) And sure enough, our, you know, our name was called and I'm like, I saw a guy, he had like a nice, it wasn't like a big beard, but you know, he had some facial fuzz. I'm like, that's good enough. And I asked the lady, I'm like, hey, listen, this sounds weird. I'm not trying to be picky, but can I wait and let someone go in front of me and pitch to that guy? And she's like, sure. I ended up pitching to him. And, uh, you know, obviously the rest is history. So, you know, we ended up going through the entire process. I don't know how deep you want me to dive into it, but, you know, Shark Tank was one of the most uh, enlightening and thrilling experiences. And also it just kind of solidifies your product, um, let alone the PR. So, yeah, I mean, Shark Tank was amazing. And I know I just skipped the entire process, but I don't know how deep you <laughs> well, want right, to dive so what into is, it. What, is it. what does it take to get on Shark Tank? Lead it, like everything leading up to you have been greenlit to show go on the show and pitch. What ha- I imagine all there's tons of work in advance. What does that look like? There is. There's. It's quite a daunting process, but I would say first and foremost because I remember even just the audition pitch. They almost like cut us off halfway through 
pitching the product. I'm like, oh man, they don't like it. No, honestly, what they're looking for first and foremost, and you might have noticed this is personality first and then product, which sounds kind of odd. But again, this is TV there. It is real. It's not like it's all scripted or anything. The only thing scripted on that show is your pitch. The rest is all freestyle. Um, so they're really looking for personality. So I would say that's the first step. Then after that, you go through a lot of rounds of, you know, you have to send a video in, then you have to pitch, then you have to you know pitch it to the producers. And then at some point, if you make it through, let's say three levels of those initial calls and emails, um, which it's rare. A lot of people don't. I've had people that I know that got on the show, but it took them like two or three tries. Luckily, we did it in one try, but you then fly out to LA and then you, uh, you know, practice and film. I would say the most nerve wracking part, and we have this on our website, there's a, a page about this whole Shark Tank story. If you just go to our page and I think it's like Shark Tank story, I have in big bold letters and it says during this process, you never are guaranteed anything, which was the most nerve wracking part. Like it was a six, actually it was a year process. By the time we filmed until the time we aired, it was one year. So it's like in between that entire time, you're like, oh my God, are we going to get on? Do we not get on? What's going on? So you're kind of worried while you're trying to run your business. And the whole time they tell you, hey, Nick, don't worry about us. Just run your business as if you're not going to get on. So I'm like, well, that's promising, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah. And, it, and, and here's a little funny side note that I just like to share. And it's also on our site is that I told you we tried out January 15, 2015. We literally aired, Kurt, January 15, 2016. It was exactly a year later, which I thought was just such an odd thing. Um, so when you first started the process yeah. to when it, it actually aired, how long was it? it? It was it was exactly one year. So like we, we auditioned. Oh, so one year from when you record or one year from when you auditioned? One year from when we, um, oh, when, from when we actually filmed the show is what you're saying. Yeah, what was the to- so when you actually filmed the show? Ah, I got you. That's like a that's about a six month process. Okay. So the other so six s- months was just waiting, but that but that can okay. fluctuate amongst people. Like I've seen people where you know they film and then they air like you know months after. It just depends on the scheduling. I mean, I, that's out of my realm. I'm not really sure, but yeah, it took basically from the time we auditioned until the time we filmed about six months. Okay. So about, I mean, so a year, six months to get on it, six months for it to air. Correct. But yeah, that's a, I mean, six months of investing you know, time um, and energy and emotion. Like that's a, it's, it's quite the, quite the investment. hundred percent. What, uh, so did you, what happened? What, what was the, what was the verdict? Did they make the deal? Yeah. So I think uh, I was actually quoted a lot on Twitter for this, but as we were pitching, we were so new in business and I would never change this for anything. I would say, if you have an opportunity to go on Shark Tank, do it. But if I were to say, if you did have an opportunity to go again, oh my God, I would have loved to go on now where I have business experience. We were only eight months in business, so we had no idea. And so this was actually prior to getting into China. So they were like, well, what do you need the money for? I'm like, Robert or Lori, whatever. We need the money because we need to scale manufacturing, but we don't have that type of cash. And so we need to go to China. But uh, as you may know, once you go to China, I mean, you're, you're talking mass quantity. You're not talking 500 to 1,000 units from your local mom and pops. You're talking, you know, a big chunk of money, like $70,000, $80,000. And if you don't have a line of credit, you know, you're not getting that. So 
during the pitch, I could start to see them kind of unsure, like, because it's so new. This was one of our first renditions of the product. Um, and I started to see them drop out like flies. I'm like, oh, man. So Lori was about to go out. And I said, Lori, let me stop you for a second. Before you go out, why don't you make us an offer? And so they were completely caught off guard. And <laughs> I mean, because nobody really does that. They don't say you make me an offer. And so. But if you don't ask, you don't get. So this, I, this is a good tactic. You had nothing to lose. Oh, I had nothing to lose. I mean, most when I now when I see Shark Tank episodes and I see sharks going out, I'm like, they should have did what I did. You never know unless you don't ask. So. I literally cut her off because she was the last shark in and we really wanted to work with her. And she's like, well, um, okay, you asked. She was like, I'll have to take 50%. I'm like, oh, no. I was like, I was not ready for that. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I had a number in my head uh, based off of one of my mentors that really helped us through the process. And I think the number in our head was like no more than like 40%. And mind you, back then, uh being so new, having no experience, not many sales. I think we had like $100,000 in sales. I was like, this is not bad. She's going to help us get to millions and millions. So uh, while we were sweetening the deal, we went in the back. We're like, but hold on. We got one more thing for you, Lori. And we have an animated GIF on our website that shows this moment. But we go in the back. We pull out a cape and a crown. And we're like, Lori, would you like to you know, be our queen? Something like that. And if she's like, done. And then all the sharks stand up. It's a standing ovation. We get the deal with Lori and, you know, everything's golden from there. So that was our carpet experience on the Shark Tank show. It was awesome. So what, uh, it, it sounds phenomenal. What, uh, what impact did it have on your business? Oh, man. Um, the aftermath was awesome. I think our sales grew by like 400% with, within days. Um, I say Shark Tank, and this is even for people that have been on it, they know this. It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving for at least a 90-day window of continuous uh, trajectory up and spikes. It's almost like a hockey stick. And the reason is you have to realize most people don't watch TV live anymore, right? It's They DVR, which that's kind of even going out of style now. Um, they Hulu it, they Apple TV it. So you have to, you know, people don't sit there unless you're a diehard fan and watch it as it airs. You usually kind of watch it whenever you can. And so that's why I call it the gift that keeps on giving because you might hit people that haven't seen the show in 30 to 60 to even 90 days and then they watch it and then they buy. So we saw continuous growth and spikes. Now it doesn't last forever. I mean, it starts to die down, I would say after you know, the four month mark. But the the second part of that gift is that once it's done with NBC, it then goes to CNBC. So if you've ever been on like an airplane or a bar and you randomly see Shark Tank, that's usually CNBC. Um, so you continuously get re-aired if they, if they like it. I mean, we don't have any say so or even know, but they just re-air it. So we'll see like little mini bumps and spikes in sales, but it's nothing like that first initial launch. And I, and I heard somewhere that it's equivalent to like a four or $5 million ad spot on TV. So, I mean, imagine that uh, getting that airtime. And that's why if you watch Mark Cuban or any of these guys that they really hate when people come in there for exposure with these outrageous valuations. And they're literally there. You can tell just for exposure, they try to tear those people apart. And we definitely weren't like, we really needed the money. We needed a deal. And we did that. So, and I like that um, you have done quite a good job of leveraging the stuff after the fact in that, 
Like you've made it part of the brand story. Um, you've got this really amazing just page that answer that talks about the whole experience um, and has the Shark Tank episode embedded in it. It's very cool. And I've got that linked in the the resources on your site. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you scroll right, you've got that nice as seen on the press logo bar, add social proof and trust um, on your homepage says as seen on. And then you've got dead center Shark Tank. I think it adds a lot of lot of credibility. Um, it certainly grabs people's attention. And then if they've seen it, like now they can really relate to you. Um, especially if they're, they're a shark tank fan. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. Um, thank you. Even just from that, like that press branding standpoint, but no, you've certainly, certainly gotten the mileage out of it. Gotten a lot of, a lot of good use there. Um, all right. So one of the, the things you've got this product now at this point, it's successful and it's a matter of, all right, we could, you know, can we expose it to a larger audience to just keep good consistent sales with it? But one of the things we've seen um, with uh, Shopify stores is you can you know you can acquire so many customers, you can convert so many. The other way to grow is to to add customer lifetime value. Can you sell them additional related goods that are going to give them a better experience with their brand? With this this beard bib, what what are what did you do? Like you've got that product. Did you how did you expand the catalog and with it, you know, average order value or customer lifetime value? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think prior to even naming the company Beard King, you know, when I was going through my my own branding process that I told you I did for other companies, I was like, if I call it, if I call the company Beard Bib, like for example, Squatty Potty, which they are phenomenally successful, so it's not even a comparison, but you know, their company is named Squatty Potty. You know, they could have named it something else bathroom related, but they still sell their products underneath it. I didn't want to call the company Beard Bib uh, because I saw a bigger vision, you know, with this name Beard King that we can have an array of other products uh, under Shop King. Like we don't just call it Shop. We have Shop King, Shop Queen, and Shop King is, is our main source. So in and around the beard space, what we like to call sync share. And I think Chris Saka actually laughed at it. He's like, whoa, did you just say sync share? And Chris Saka was the guest shark on Shark Tank, by the way. Um, but yeah, so I think our goal and our vision is to acquire as much as much sync share as possible with other products, um, such as beard washes, beard oils, brushes, combs, um, eventually maybe even some clippers you might see coming out. Uh, but we even bundled it up into a, and branding, as you, as you mentioned earlier, is what I love. And so we even have a kit called the King Kit, which is a premium beard kit. And it has uh, your choice of color for the beard bib, a brush, an oil, and a wash. And that seems to do wildly successful as well because it's a great gift. Uh, so we actually even just recently came out with beard vitamins. So we're trying to do everything we can in the beard space uh, to really, you know, disrupt some of these other companies that um, are doing it. And then we are acquiring that average order value that's that's pretty high. And I would say that's actually one of our challenges now is how do we get people back? Because a recurring revenue model is great, right? When you sell a product that you consume and you need to reuse, and that's the space that's also tough to get in. It's very competitive. But a beard bib is like a one-off unless you're buying gifts for your your, you know, your brother, your husband, your boyfriend, whatever it might be, you know, we might only get that customer once, but the key is, and what the challenges we're going through now is how can we get them back to buy more? Um, and so I think that's very important. And that's some of the, the strategies we're working on to date. Uh, yeah. Looking at the, this, this King kit. Yes. Yeah, it's, um, it's more than double the price of the beard bib. So if you could get someone into the King kit, it's very cool. Cause it's got, it's more than just this beard bib. 
It's uh, what do we got? We got shampoo. It looks like beard wash and oil and a beard brush. And there's a like a case for it. Mm-hmm. It's really it's very cool branding. And I think that's one of the the interesting things here. The beard the beard bib by itself, if you explain it, could would not does not necessarily need this fancy branding. It could be just a very simple, straightforward product. Beard King, because of your background, is really this very strong brand to the point where um, when we've when you answer the phone, when we've exchanged emails, you're always like your highness and like you really take it all the way mm-hmm. um, with the the Beard King theme. What did you feel? Uh, did you have any thoughts on that? That extreme commitment to branding. Yeah, I think because you know it's it's about the customer experience and journey. The thing is, like, how do you really differentiate yourself nowadays? You know, for example, it's like you don't always have a chance to create a product like the beard boom. And that's why I know it's like this gem that I created this market, created this product that never existed. But, you know, in hindsight, like washes, like everybody can do that. Like it's not a big deal. So how do you differentiate yourself with a great branding experience for people to come back? You know, I can go buy beard oil or beard wash anywhere. There's so many competitors, but it's we're trying to provide our customers with that great experience. I think one of our lines is treat everybody like royalty. You know, even on our homepage, it's look, smell and feel like royalty, you know. So you might not be royalty, but if you get from Beard King, you're going to feel like royalty. So and that's kind of our whole play on things. And it even goes down to even our employees. You know, we we all call each other, you know, Queen Sally, King Nick, Queen Alicia, like, you know, with the men and women that work with us. So same thing down to our customers, our vendors, everybody, even sometimes even with our lawyers. But I'm like, maybe I call my <laughs> lawyer. I should probably get a little more serious here. But regardless, the point is, is that we do um, we are really committed to that discipline of, of staying on brand. And I think that's what's attributed to our success, our success today. Well, I think the the big ultimate advantage there is two things. It's fun and it's memorable. Like I certainly I was I always it always made me smile. And it, I never forgot it. Mm-hmm. So I, there's the that commitment, um, and really, you know, going, committing fully and going whole hog with a a branding idea. If you've got this idea, then just like running it all the way to its conclusion, which is well, if it's the beard king, then we shall address everyone as as king and queen. And it really, it quite, it works quite well. Yeah, I um, think so. So as you've created, you said you've invented this space and you've got this product. You're on Shark Tank. One of the things we've seen is when a product is successful on Kickstarter, before they've ever even gotten to manufacturing, you can buy crappy knockoffs on like AliExpress. Like they put, as soon as you have demonstrated to Chinese manufacturers that you have something people want to buy, they will go knock it off. They will go out there, knock it off, and then someone naturally will start selling basically the same thing on Amazon, um, which is very frustrating. And I know you've got... Um, your product is on Amazon, uh, you know, four and a half stars, 400 review, over 400 reviews, very positive. Your other products. What, uh, how do you, how do you deal with that with, with competitors? What's your, what's your mindset and approach there? Uh, well, first of all, it's frustrating, but you can't let emotions get the best of you. Cause I mean, it, you know, if to the average person, they might look at this on a daily basis and be like, how do you deal with this? I, I mean, this is like depressing and it, and it is, but I use that to just fuel my fire to fight these guys. Cause here's the thing. We weren't even on Amazon two years ago. 
it's crazy that I can't even believe that Amazon allows this. I think they're just rapidly growing that they can't even control it. But it's a wild west on Amazon. Like literally, we have seen people steal our image, chop our guy's head off, Photoshop ahead and sell it as theirs. It's it's insane. But um, the point is, is that we had to get on Amazon because we were being exploited there. And the crappy thing is these guys aren't even brands. Like you said, they're Chinese manufacturers or they're people that buy from the Chinese manufacturers and they sell them. And they're not even creating brands because they don't have to. If Amazon didn't exist, I think that it wouldn't be um, as a cancerous that it is problem because Amazon allows these companies to get on without really cross-checking or having credentials to easily get on, add a listing, start advertising, and they and they can rip people off. I will say though, they do comply when it comes to intellectual property. So, you know, we have trademarks, copyright now, a couple patents pending. They're almost being pushed through. So, you know, wishful thinking very soon we'll be able to clean up this market. But the way we've dealt with it is just it's a game of whack-a-mole. Anybody that crosses the line on our intellectual property, we're, we're going after you. We're going to take you down. Everybody that is pending, they're on warning. And we're going to go after them as soon as we have the rights to. So in the meantime, these guys are just... They're almost leeches trying to scrape off the top and make whatever they can of your success. And it is frustrating, but that's where the branding comes into play. You need to outbrand and outmarket these guys. And some people will, you know, they'll buy into that and others will just want a knockoff. So those are some of the pain points that we've definitely been having uh, with the knockoffs. So I think the solution is um, that you found is, is to uh, create a, your own brand and with it you get a lot of um, intellectual property that goes with it and then fiercely defend the IP. Yes, to some degree because I mean you can fight forever but you don't want to throw you know good money at bad. You know you could just outmarket, outbrand them but you do definitely want to enforce and defend your IP you know where need be. But again I, it, it, when people see this and they go on Amazon you'll literally see some similarities of the pictures and the sink and everything just being cut. And so they, they know what they're doing. They're maliciously trying to go around the IP, um, you know, to take your success, but you got to be able to stay on top. And so, as you mentioned, you know, four and a half star, 420 reviews. I mean, we went from zero to all the way to the top and it just, and we're, I think Amazon's choice for certain keywords like beard bib or beard King. And so I will say in that regard, that's a good thing with Amazon is how they, you know, do allow the brands to step up, even though I feel like they're not always pro brand, you know, it's just more of what products sell. That's all we care about. It's a good, yeah. And you're right. I, I searched, um, when I searched, yeah, there are, there are other products here, but yours pops up first and it's got, uh, the Amazon's choice badge, which I don't know how they figure that, but it does. I mean, it, I have no idea what it means, but it works on me. Yeah. Like often, especially if it's a commodity good, I will just go straight to the Amazon's 100%. choice. And um, it's crazy how ours has become a commodity in that sense. But I think it's like their A9 algorithm that's based off of sales history, volume, rating. There's so many things that we really don't know. But I will say that, for example, if you run out of stock, I mean, one time we ran out of stock during the holidays and then we lost our badge and someone else, one of these knockoffs that was probably selling more because Stock, oh. got the badge but once we got back in stock got our listing back up to par we got the badge back so it's a fight for that buy box and also the badges but you know it, it, it's frustrating but i will say you know these guys but on amazon 
is it worthwhile? Are you selling enough product, gaining enough new new mindshare and customers that it that's worthwhile? You know, I was talking to one of my guys that's on my board and also the mentor, and he said Amazon, and at least we're still new to it, so I don't know, but it's almost like a drug because you get all these sales, Kurt. It's a volume. It's a volume business because it's almost like you don't have to market. It's like you're just diving into a pool, putting up a listing, and all the customers are there as opposed to like someone that's on Shopify. You got to work hard to get the traffic, then convert. But I, I'm guilty as charged as an Amazon customer myself. Like I might go to a Shopify store or a product. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let me see if it's on Amazon. It's just easier to add it to my cart. I'll get it in two days. So it's a double-edged sword. It's a drug in the sense that the volume is there, but you need to make sure you know your numbers and your margins because Amazon takes a lot. There's all They list out all their fees, but all those feeds, fees add up. Plus, if you advertise, that's even more cost. So you can very quickly end up losing margin as opposed to direct to consumer with your own brand. So it's, there's a balance that you have to try to find there. To me, we look at it as another sales channel and or a marketing platform because um, you have to be on there. So for example, we don't have all of our products there, but let's say you go to Amazon, you like the bib, you you like the experience with the pro- the packaging and everything we give you. Well, you might come to our website and we'll give you a better offering. It just depends. So we're still trying to, uh, you know, hash out strategies with Amazon's. But so far, I, I would say that, you know, it's it's definitely a great platform to be on if you don't have your products on there. Oh, absolutely. Um, how do you, well, the catch with Amazon is they own the customer. So they're like, oh, did you want their emails? You're not getting that. Mm-hmm. So you can't. It's tough to build that relationship and get that customer lifetime value uh, out of it. Um, And that's where having really amazing packaging comes into play. And I've seen a lot of people do clever stuff where they'll put, like they'll they'll have a a pack-in card um, that encourages you to do something like, hey, get 10% off at our website or, you know, share this on Instagram. I thought it was a very good one I saw on some jewelry, some cheap jewelry I bought my wife from Amazon and it had a card in there that was like, you, really like nicely printed. Do you know the name so, of yeah, it where you bought it from? Uh, I don't recall the name. I posted it on, I did post it to our, our Facebook, um, the unofficial Shopify podcast insiders, okay. our Facebook group. Well, um, offline, send it to me. I'm only asking because I have a buddy that has like one of the top jewelry brands. So I'm curious to know that if you bought his, I'll let him know, but. <laughs> it was a hair tie. Uh, um, it was like a bracelet that also held hair ties oh. because I was always complaining. I'm like, there, are, there. Are, I could track my wife's location based on the hair ties basically. that are around my house. The trail of um, hair ties, and you'll find your the wife. Trail of hair ties. You'll find your wife at the end of the trail, like the leprechaun. Yeah, and someone brilliantly came up with a bracelet that you put your hair tie on so that that doesn't happen. And sure enough. We no longer have hair ties running around all over our house. That is awesome. Well, well, fair <laughs> enough. I'll have to ask him. So I got another, like another another good example of a um, like it's seemingly like simple pain that you just deal with that maybe you don't have to. Maybe there's a better a product out there to solve that. So Absolutely. lots of those good ideas. All right, you have said it all. You have shared a lot. I'm thrilled. We even got revenue numbers out of you, which is rare and fantastic. Thank you. What advice, now that you've gone through it, you have survived the fire, you've got some survivorship bias because, hey, it worked for you, but you've been on Shark Tank, you've had, you've run into all these issues, you've got competitors who you're, you're beating down mercilessly. From, from Beard King Castle, 
what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, I would say you need to be willing to learn something new every day. You know, it's always a constant learning journey. I mean, going into this, like I was telling you earlier, you know, we were eight months into business going into Shark Tank. We had no idea. I didn't know how to do manufacturing, operations, running the books, none of that stuff. So you need to be willing to wear a lot of different hats and learn. Um, and don't let it stress you out because you will, there'll be a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but it's always going to be slowly creeping upwards. You might get there quicker than others. Um, or you might go down quicker than others, but you can't take, you know, no for an answer because you're going to have a lot of self doubt. And like I mentioned earlier, even with doing R and D and finding other products, we almost dropped this whole idea. So imagine if we didn't, uh, beard King would have never came about. So, yeah, I would just say being persistent is key because one thing I say a lot is ideas are cheap, but execution is everything. And a lot of people don't understand that. They're just like, oh, I have a great idea. I'm going to be a millionaire. No, it it doesn't work like that. I mean, take two people with one great idea and a decent idea. The person that executes better is going to be the the successful one always. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every time you see... I'm sure everyone has done this. They see an idea, it's, and then they go, oh, I, I thought of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but you didn't do anything with it. <laughs> and that's the hard part. Like, it's, it's not that coming, the idea, it, you know, you have to have, um, you know, some flash of brilliance to come up with the idea and recognize it and decide to do something with it. But even just like deciding to do something with it will separate out most people. Most people will be like, that's a cool idea, and they're done. Like, all right, that's a cool idea, and I'm going to make it happen, all right? Well, you probably like we we weeded out, you know, 90% of people there. Yep. And then within that, it's maybe 1% to actually execute it. And then of those people, how many um, are successful um, immediately? And then if they're not, like, probably most people are not immediately successful. And then they, do they give up or do they pivot? I mean, there there is a ton that goes into it. And I think you're right. It is, it is persistence. It is being, um, it's motivation. You know, those two go together, of course. And then um, being willing to learn. Like if you, it, you said like, oh yeah, if I went back, you know, to Shark Tank, maybe I would have would have done things differently. But it's it, because of your experience and you're willing to say, I didn't know everything then. A hundred percent. And that's the cool part of the journey is that once you kind of build a foundation, build a prototype, learn all your different roles, you can begin to delegate off to other people to help you grow. You can replicate that. So that's why a lot of people become serial entrepreneurs. It's like you learn from your first business. It might be great. You might exit and sell out for X and millions or it might crash and burn. But you need to learn from those experience, uh, duplicate what worked and then adjust. And so that's the cool part. And that's what's exciting for me is that I know I can take this Beard King platform I built and literally replicate that and do it with another business, another brand. It might not be a gem in creating a commodity like the Beard Bib. But you would aspire to do that, and at least you have the background to do so. Absolutely, yeah. I was that is similar to how I viewed um, our business and our success. But we had like the first uh, our first idea was let's build an e-commerce platform. I certainly not run an e-commerce platform now, right? It like <laughs> there was so much I didn't know going into it mm-hmm. um, that created that where it didn't work. But we didn't stop. We said, all right, well, what what can we do instead? And it turned out lots of people were were interested in hiring um, web designers and web development, and that was like a core skill set we needed to build the e-commerce platform. So it's like, all right, well, what we could sell that instead? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And now, now here we are. Yeah, I, um, I love your stuff. We've been working together <laughs> for a while. 
Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm well familiar with uh, with uh, the Beard King, the site, and the content, and so it's very really was a very easy easy interview for me to do when I know that stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, no, I've I've always wanted to hear the whole story, um, and this is the first <laughs> this gave me a chance to finally ask yeah. and put it together. So that's well, cool. I'm glad we got to yeah. share the story as well, because like I said, we worked together, but you didn't know all the ins and outs, and now you do, and I'm excited to you know see what people have to say about it. Yeah. So you went recapping. You went from you were you were doing brand development. We'll say you were a, a consultant. You went, uh, but you were a consultant with a beard, and you got beard all over your sink. And your significant other is not happy with this. So what do you do? You said, "I got an idea. I can make. I bet I could solve this." And you came up with the the beard bib, the idea, and then second guessed yourself because someone came out with a product that solved the same problem in a totally different way, but it didn't work. And then you were able to build a get a, a, your favorite tailor to build the prototype for you. I love that, leveraging something locally. <laughs> get Then validate it. Get on Shark Tank to really get some exposure. Build a, put together a viral video using the resources at hand. You know, you had your, your wife in it and your friends, like everybody in it, just super cool. Um, just use, use the resources available to you. Um, and then that, that went viral. So you really, like, we could, um, you know, being on Shark Tank is worth like four or five million dollars in PR. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like that's what a Super Bowl commercial costs. So that's um, that's a big deal. Yeah, that you manage that. But the you know what's the in terms of like Facebook ads? You know what would the value of that nine gag thing be? You know probably you know ten twenty thousand dollars in Facebook ads easily. Nothing to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from from there said, all right, this is for real. Let's scale this thing. So then you got. You got serious. You put your big boy business hat on and really doubled down on let's turn these things into processes and systems and get someone else to manufacture it and someone else to fulfill it. And then, all right, now let's let's get some some uh, IP protection in pay- place, intellectual property. Let's fight these competitors. We'll expand, get on other channels, Amazon. Um, and hey, how do we? You know, we've got this this great brand. How do we? add more value to that experience. And that was, all right, let's create other other beard products, including the most recent, which really like, who would have would have ever guessed or seen this coming? I mean, had you, if we sat down and tried to brainstorm new products, I would have come up with with stuff that got sync share, right? I like that sync share concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but you came up with beard supplements. Like that's, that is brilliant and off the wall and I never would have come up with it, but it fits. Yeah. Um, and it gets you into into a bit of a new space. Um, kind of interesting. So yeah, yeah. Did, did I get it all right? Oh uh, man, uh, can I hire you? <laughs> no, yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it. Uh, Kurt. I, th- I, think I think that's my. I think you literally nailed the entire the entire narration of my life and my story with Beard King. My my superpower I have learned is being able to summarize and concisely explain fairly concept thing complex things in simple terms. I, you did. Like that's just and you, consistently I get that. Like, oh wow, you really made that very easy. Man, you didn't skip a beat and you didn't get anything out of order. So I think you nailed it. Well that's what when people are talking on the show, that's what I'm doing. I'm like taking notes and then I uh, by the end And you're on the website, know, you're looking up. Yeah, I'm poking around. But that's if I can summarize it, then I understand it. That's how I, I view things. No, and it's kinda, I love it. I'm excited to hear. So I'm assuming, obviously, we're done. But when... Uh, no, not quite. Nicholas, uh, thank you for, uh, for joining us. But where could people go to learn more about you? You can go to www.thebeardking.com or you can check us out on social media. All of our handles are at beardking. And yeah, those are the two main spots. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Nicholas, 
the Beard King, thank you. It has been an honor and pleasure. Thank you, King Kurt. Before we go, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Zapiet who helped make this episode possible. Have you ever wanted to offer local pickup in your store? Or how about scheduled local deliveries? Zapiet's easy-to-use app helps thousands of merchants do just that, offer store pickup and delivery to their Shopify customers right in their store. They've just launched a massive update that adds a ton of new features. To learn more about it and start your 14-day free trial and get 10% off if you stick with it, head to zapiet.com slash podcast. That's Z-A-P-I-E-T dot com slash podcast. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.